When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? The spirit was good, uh, you know, and it's, it's tough to win on the road, and you got to bring, and we talked about it, you have to bring that toughness on the road with you. You know, you have to get to loose balls. You know, the, you can make up for a lot with hustle. And so, um, they, we, and we talked about that, you know, and, and I think we will as, as, as we go on here. But, you know, again, it's, it's a quick turnaround going home, you know, and we got to get ready for the next one. All right, let's start with that. I decided, Manny Hill, to call an audible here and start with that. All right. Tibbs tonight at Target Center with Jimmy going out there for the uh, home opener against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do you think we're going to be able to sell the fan base that does elect to show up for tonight's game on on what we appeared to make the sales pitch after the opening night loss a couple of evenings ago against San Antonio? That no matter what happens... As long as they don't lose by 40, everything is just fine. Do you think we can keep up that sales pitch that, hey, you know, yeah, we, we might have lost, but we didn't lose by 40. Do, do you think that that can be sustained for how long before the fans start to say, yeah, but you got to trade your best player or the perceived best player on the team, and by the way, you stink? Well, you can't play that card tonight. you got to win the game tonight. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I said it the other night, or I said it the other day, you know, the Cavs, the Cavs don't have LeBron anymore, so obviously they're not a contender in the Eastern Conference. But they've got they've got some guys who can play. So, you know, it's not this is not a shoe in for them to win tonight. But they do need to win this game tonight. Like, don't 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 screw around here. Win oh, the game. Oh, I think they'll be very capable of screwing around, though. Don't you? <laughs> I think well, they'll I, be very you capable. Saw me, like the other day, you saw me go through the entire yes. first twelve games, and all of those games are losable. There are some that are winnable, certainly, but I mean they could lose any one of those these these first twelve games of the season. Let's make a bet right now. Who gets booed loudest tonight? Do you think it's A Tibbs, B Jimmy Buckets, or heck, let's throw him in Kevin Love, who I don't think will even be acknowledged or people <laughs> will care. But who do you think gets booed loudest? At tonight's game. And by the way, that was just a subject on um, the ESPN NBA show. <laughs> so so it has now gone national about how Butler is going to get booed. But I think I think Tibbs got a very good chance to beat him out here. I think Kevin Love will get booed when he's introduced in the starting lineups. Mildly, I, right? M- mildly, yeah. yeah. But I don't think it's not going to be like 
in years past where every time he touches the ball during the game, he's going to get booed. I don't think it'll be like that. But I think once they say, you know, forward number zero from UCLA, Kevin Love, then he'll get get some boos. But, yeah, it's Butler. I think Butler will get booed. I think that Tibbs, when Tibbs' name is announced, he will get booed. I mean, it already has, right? The preseason game against Oklahoma City, they announced his name and he got booed. Mm-hmm. So, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be really, really, really intriguing. I am curious though. I think Jimmy will get booed when he's introduced, but I wonder if he'll get booed every time he has the ball. I'm not sure he will be, but I would not be surprised if he is. I think he does, but I think the initial boos are loudest for Tibbs and Jimmy is second. I think Jimmy's going to get booed, and I think Jimmy will get booed whenever he gets the ball. But I think, I think this crowd is thoroughly turned on Tibbs. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about him that we like. That's the problem. You know, Butler's got the fighting spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Like Butler, the perception he's of Butler. He's got the personality, yeah, and, he's, and kind he's of, yeah, and he's still got the the feeling about him that if Jimmy is playing, Jimmy's going to try his hardest, which I think fans appreciate. They might not like him now, and I don't blame them for that, but. You tell me what's redeeming about tips. What's the redeem? What can you tell me about Tom Thibodeau where you say, "Yeah, but Judd, I, yeah. you know, you don't get it totally." I, I, it's I'm struggling. I think he gets booed the loudest. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find. I mean, look, he made the trade to get, but well, here's the thing: you look at this two-year tenure now with Tom Thibodeau, and after last season ended when people were still upset and even towards the end of the season when people were upset with how they were playing and struggling to get into the playoffs and everything and people were mad at Tibbs, the one thing the Tibbs, the pro-Tibbs people could say was, well, he got Jimmy Butler here. Right? Yes. Like, that was yeah, it. well, I mean, you can be mad at Tibbs. You don't. You could hate that he plays a starter too much, but he got Jimmy Butler here and look what Jimmy Butler's done for this team. Well, now, Jimmy Butler wants out. Mm-hmm. So now you can't even, if you're a pro Tibbs person, you can't even say, you can't even hang your hat on that anymore. The fact that he brought Jimmy Butler here, because now Jimmy wants to be gone. Oh, that's what I'm saying. There's nothing. There's re- nothing. There's th- That was the last. Zero. That's what I'm saying. That was the last thing that you could hang your hat on if you're a pro Tibbs person, and that is now out the window. Ding, ding. All right, Rafi at the plate. Here's the pitch. And he swings and hits one in the air to left field pretty well. Back goes Kemp. Back toward the wall. Looking up. And this ball is gone. Three-run homer. Rafi Devers. 4-0 Red Sox. Bottom of the ninth. 4-1 Red Sox. Kimbrell at the belt. He fires. Swinging a fly ball. Left field. Benintendi moving back. Back toward the wall. He reaches up. He makes the catch. And the Red Sox have won the American League pennant for the 14th time in their history. Sit down and listen to this. I did the... now. It's become now on Mackie and Judd, Manny, basically the annual Boston research. But it doesn't make it any easier to stomach. (laughs) The Boston Red Sox won the American League pennant last night, all right? Yep. So you can either take this in two ways. One is since 1992 because the Twins won the World Series in 1991, and that's the last time a a meaningful men's professional team, not Mm -hmm. a meaningful team, a meaningful men's professional team in this town won a championship. Or we could just start in 2000, which is where this starts, and be thoroughly depressed about the state of our sports and the state of sports in Boston, Massachusetts. Since 2000, 
the Patriots have won five titles, mm-hmm. five Super Bowls. They have 15 playoff appearances. And in that time, they have lost three Super Bowls. So eight Super Bowl appearances yes. total yes. in 18 years. The Boston Red Sox. <laughs> you recall the curse of the Bambino, which finally oh, yeah. was lifted in 2004. Yeah. Now have, since 2000, three World Series titles. They might be going on a fourth for all we know. Mm-hmm. And they have, in that time since 2000, 10 playoff appearances. The Boston Celtics aren't even pulling their weight. A heritage NBA <laughs> franchise. Winningest franchise in, well, I mean, I think the Lakers are the winningest, but in terms of championships, the Celtics are the winningest, yeah. They have one title in 2008 with the Garnett team since 2000, but 14 playoff appearances. The Boston Bruins, also not completely pulling their weight, but they do have a Stanley Cup that's been paraded around Boston mm-hmm. and 12 playoff appearances. So since 2000, or if you want to say since a Minnesota men's professional team among the four sports that we follow closest. Since uh, since then, the Boston area, the Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, and Bruins have 10 titles and 51 playoff appearances. <laughs> now let's go to the Minnesota teams that we follow closest. Vikings, oh Twins, Wolves, and Wild. Oh boy. I don't need to tell you, but I just will for the sake of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Zero titles. Mm-hmm. Playoff appearances, playoff appearances since 2000, 28 of them. Seven by the Vikings, which culminated now with uh, with three losses in, in NFC title games. Seven by the Twins, five by the Wolves, which went 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, and then not again until 2018. And nine by the Wild. Which is an on which is an ongoing streak that I think is at seven now, but just to give you a little snippet of what th- this has meant, I've told you that the Vikings since two thousand have lost three NFC title games. The Twins since they last since two thousand four are three and twenty in playoff games. That's how bad things have been since two thousand four. Yes, three- right. No, I'm sorry. They are three and twenty in playoff games since 2000. They are 0 and 10 since 2004. I wrote that down wrong. It doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, what I'm it's te- bad. what I'm yeah. telling you is that Boston, they don't. You turn around and some type of championship trophy basically hits you there. See, here's the other here's the other part that's tough about it too. And and again, let's reiterate. We're not disregarding the links here. We're just speaking on the men's, the, the men's professional teams. team. Yes, absolutely. Yes, so nobody. We're, we're nope. not disregarding the nope. links. Obviously, what they've done has been fantastic, and we love them. Yep. But when you think about this Boston stuff, in some cases, they've been doing it with former players that were either stars or really good players here. The Red Sox with David Ortiz. Sorry, we got to remind Twins fans of that. You got Garnett. You got Garnett. And that group from the Celtics. Now, Randy Moss didn't win a Super Bowl with the Patriots, but he was in one of those Super Bowl appearances. Absolutely was. So, I mean. But if you are. Wasn't. Uh, when the when the Bruins won in 2011, yep. right? Was there a former wild player on there? Was Oh, there very well might have been. It wasn't any, I don't think it was anyone of consequence, but there Mm -hmm. probably was. But the point is, so if you were born 
in this town in 1992. Well, heck, if you were born in 1989, but let's just let's just say since the Twins won the World Series, Manny Hill in October of 91. Mm-hmm. If you were born in 92, you have seen essentially nothing of true consequence from the men's professional teams unless you unless you consider heartbreak in NFC title games to be something of consequence, which mm-hmm. it is as far as scarring you as a sports fan for life. If you are bo- were born in 2000 in Boston, you know nothing but titles. You know nothing but championships. Think about that for a second. You're going back to the World Series again. You have a chance since 2004 to win a fourth World Series championship. Your football team seemingly makes the playoffs. They've made 15 playoff appearances since 2000, and they seemingly make deep playoff runs. Eight Super Bowls, Manny. Eight. Yeah, I know. They've won five, but they've been to eight. Well, and really think about it. Nine, if, you, if you're if you going all the way back since the last championship, men's championship for this town, we're talking nine Super Bowl appearances because remember the Patriots went to Super Bowl 31 with Bill Parcells and they lost to the Packers. So nine Super Bowl appearances for the Boston area. These poor guys. In the last 25 years. These poor guys have lost four. But I think a large portion of of Vikings fans would just be happy to get back there. Just see one again. Yeah. What's your last one? January of 77? I think yeah. it was the 76 season. Super Bowl I think Bowl it was 11. January of 1977. Yeah. Super Bowl eleven. And these these Red Sox and Patriots and to a certain degree the Celtics and Bruins can't play a season without somebody having just astounding success. By the way, yeah. the uh Boston Bruins did not looking on there. It doesn't look like they had a former wild player, but Blake Wheeler was on that team, and he's 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 one of us. Yeah, He's a, he's a native Minnesotan. Played, a, played high school hockey at Breck before he went yeah. to play for the Green Bay Gamblers in the uh, United States Hockey League. Former gopher. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah. They, we, throw that, <laughs> we throw Blake Wheeler your, in that your category, Your point is they take, they take our players they take and our do guys. far better than we can do, <laughs> and I'm sick of it. I don't, I'm not asking for multiple titles. I want somebody to win some championship. I'm not asking for multiple titles here. Can we see the Twins just win a pennant? And by the way, I admire Boston. Good for them. Sure. This is not a, I hate Boston. I admire what they've done. It's but, been a hell of a ride for them for yeah, the last 20 years. And good for you. You have championship teams. You have great success. In some cases, like with the Patriots, you're in a salary cap league, so where you could argue that the Red Sox can go buy the best players. Mm-hmm. The Patriots don't do that. So good for you. I just want one. Well, I mean, people think people think that I'm negative. I'm not. Just give me. I just want to see a championship again. Just give us. Something. I was twenty. I'm something. I'm, I'm almost fifty now, Manny. I was twenty-one the last time a men's professional team in this town won a championship. I give a damn about. It's not negative. It's I just want somebody to do something that gets us a championship. I was and at seven. this point I almost don't care who it is. I was seven years old when the Twins won yes. the World Series in '91. And you're thirty what now? That, I'm thirty four. Exactly. I've, I've just I've never. So I mean, and that was before, when the Twins won the World Series in '91. I was seven, and I was into sports, but I didn't really like pay attention to sports. It was just kind of like I, yeah. as a you know as I'm a second grader, I'm just like, oh, the Twins won the World Series, yay, yep. great, you know, yay. But I wasn't really. I didn't really get a chance to appreciate that championship until a few years later when I yep. had a better understanding of baseball and how everything worked. But 
So really, in my entire lifetime, for the most part, I've never really gotten a chance to experience a men's professional sports championship in this town. I can tell you from personal experience, it's great. It should just happen once in a damn while. Yeah, that would be nice. All I right. Mean, the Twins, just win a pennant. Even if you lose the World Series, no, just exactly. win a pennant. Win exactly. a pennant. All right, uh, TCL Broadcast Studios, let's take a break, come back. Johnny Krasinski of the Athletic, excuse me, does a great job covering the Timberwolves. He will be covering tonight's uh, Wolves-Cavaliers game and will join us next. Mackie and Judd, Phil will be on at 4 o'clock. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. At 1500 ESPN. Great question. I, I, I would lean a little bit more toward Tibbs, um, I think, in that scenario, Judd. I think you'll hear him from both in the starting lineup. The, the difference is, is I think that if Butler comes out and plays well, which he's certainly capable of doing, and he did for, for sections of that game in the season opener, I think he can turn the fans pretty quickly uh, to his side if he's, if he's going out playing well, scoring, passing, rebounding, defending. That'll all be fine. Uh, you know, Tibbs is, I think, in a little bit bigger hole to dig out of, um, and so he'll he'll face a little bit more of the fans' ire, I think, than than Jimmy will. Can I say it's and this is this has no judgment at all of of your story coming off the Spurs game or Chris Hine, but can I say it's really really sad when when you have to observe as much as you have in the past few months, weeks, blah blah blah, and the takeaway has to be. They didn't get blown out, and that's actually a start. And and you're dead serious here. I, I just, it's. I read those stories, and and I thought to myself, this is really the state of this franchise right now. They didn't have a screaming match. They didn't have a bench clearing brawl among themselves, and they didn't get beat by forty. And so the takeaway is, it could have been far worse. Yeah, I think you know, I I do. I ha- I really hate the moral victory card, and I don't like to play it very often, Judd, um, but in terms of that, when you look at all of the the environment that was swirling around them, um, everything that they've had to deal with of their own making this last month, I think that there were a lot of people, including on the team themselves, that wondered how they would look and how they would show up uh, in that opener. And so I think that you know, a lot of people probably thought they were going to come in and just be a complete disjointed mess and get blown out. And, uh, and bark at each other and, and show frustration and all of those things, and they didn't. Uh, they ended up losing to an undermanned Spurs team, but the Spurs have beaten teams while they've all been undermanned for the last 20 years under Greg Popovich, so that's not anything even really, I don't think, to worry about all that much. I thought that they seemed to be kind of settling in more to a, a phase where they know that this is, that what they have to deal with on a daily basis and that they're just, you know, they're, they're not going to try and get too wrapped up in it. I thought that was a good sign. Now, if you do want to go on the other side of things, uh, Jimmy Butler was out of shape in comparison, uh, did miss three easy bunnies right at the rim that he probably makes at least two of those uh, if he had had a full training camp and had played with these guys for, for more than four days. And so in some respects, I mean, this whole thing did cost them a win, you could argue. Um, but I, I, just the simple fact that they weren't completely um, outclassed and completely unhinged, I think, unfortunately, it, what, that was the bar that was set going into that one. Yeah, Johnny, and that's my concern, too, with just f- from the standpoint of what we saw on the court the other night, 
is, and, and Derek and I talked about this on the podcast this week too, after, after the game, is that it, it just seemed like a lot of what we saw on Wednesday night was very similar to what we saw for pretty much 82 games last year where, you know, the offense was, while they scored 108 points, there were still, there was still a lot of isolation basketball, a lot of ball screens for the guards. There wasn't really a heavy emphasis on getting Towns involved. Now, Cat obviously didn't do himself any favors by getting into foul trouble and just never really got into a rhythm, but there just never really seemed to be a, a, an approach to get him involved in the offense. And a lot of it was just Jimmy and Jeff Teague and Derek Rose just dribbling the air out of the ball and throwing up shots. And, you know, I, I, I just wonder if we're going to see anything different from what we saw for 82 games last year. Yeah, Manny, I, I, I do think that if you're expecting Tom Thibodeau to reinvent the wheel, he's not going to. I mean, the the, the rhetoric coming out from him for most of this summer, for after the season, going into the into training camp was, hey, we won 47 games last year. We made uh, the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. We we did a lot of great things offensively. We put we were very efficient. You're in, you're in the top 10 in offensive efficiency, number seven, I think, or so maybe even higher, number four. Um, and so he look, He honestly looks at that and says, this is productive. That's, that's what we're going to do because it, it, it generates the, the production that we need. Where we need to get better is defensively. And, and so, um, you know, if we're expecting the Wolves to kind of come out and shoot a bunch more threes or, or have Cat kind of quarterbacking the system from the elbow or – things like that are really moving the ball around that's not what they're doing and that's not what they're going to do with this personnel Jeff Teague likes to dribble so does Jimmy Butler so does Andrew Wiggins <laughs> you, you, you got a lot of these guys Derek Rose a lot of these guys like to perform in that sort of a situation now is that conducive to long-term success I think there's reasonable uh, questions to ask there uh, what Tom Thibodeau says over and over again is offense hasn't been the problem and so I do expect you to see more of that going forward. Johnny, is Cat getting uh, six shots in a game, which is obviously ridiculously low, is that a Cat problem, a game plan problem, or a combination of both? Well, you know, he, he certainly was in foul trouble a lot, and so that really did limit his uh, opportunities. And so, first and foremost, you do have to look at that. Uh, I do think, as well, that a lot of teams are going to load their defenses to try and uh, limit Cat and try and force Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins and Jeff Teague to do it themselves because it is a lot harder to do it that way. And so that's what they're almost playing into defense's hands when they do that. Um, but also, I think, uh, you know, he didn't make his first field goal until early in the third quarter. His first shot came very late in, the, in, in uh, I think, maybe six, seven minutes into the game. And yeah. so, um, you know, you would think that, um, a player of his offensive talents would be at the center point a little bit more. And I do think part of that is game plan and approach, but also part of that is Cat not getting in foul trouble and making sure that he's assertive enough to be in positions that, that he can exploit. Are we, and I guess I'm kind of banging my head against the wall when asking a question about Tom Thibodeau, but <laughs> are, are we going to see Josh Okoge at all early on because I, I it's 
I, I understand the, the the depth situation with 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 the guards, and you've got Derrick Rose in there getting minutes, and obviously you've got Jimmy and and Andrew Wiggins, and you've got Tyus and Teague and everything too. But I, I just I have long said and long felt that in order for this team to have long term success, that you've got to find a way to develop younger players, and I feel like the best way to develop these younger players is to even if it's six or seven minutes, Johnny, just find a way to get Josh Okogie on the floor because I feel like that's the only way he's really going to get better and improve. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Manny, and, and I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Yeah. Tom Thibodeau said this morning at shoot-around that he has a nine-man rotation right now and Josh is not in it. Neither is Keita Bates-Giop. And, and so he said, you know, those things can change over the course of a season, but right now he is very committed to making sure the nine players that he does have find a rhythm play together after not playing together very much in training camp because of Jimmy's absence and settle in that way. And um, Tom's priority has never been that, uh, especially this year when he needs to win or he will be fired. I mean, you know, that's the problem right now with sort of this situation is uh, Tom Thibodeau very much is coaching on the hot seat and he knows it. And he knows that the West is going to be incredibly difficult and, so he's going to go with the guys that he trusts, and he trusts Derrick Rose. And so I think you're going to see more of Rose and probably less of a Kogi. Now, on, on nights when a team does go super small and plays maybe with three or four guards at some times, which we've seen from time to time, maybe you'll see Josh get mixed in there a little bit. But as part of the regular rotation, Tom Thibodeau said this morning, he is not in it right now. Who is trying to... Um... Orchestrate the trade talks on Jimmy Butler right now, Johnny, because I read that you know Glenn Taylor told Sid that it's going to be Scott Layden. Do you do you believe that to be true, or if there are behind the scenes talks going on, who do you think is in charge of those talks to see if they can eventually work a trade for him? Yeah, I mean, if you if you do take Glenn's word there, and there, I guess there's no reason not to. It looks like you know Tom is going to concentrate on the coaching right now and and on the the players right in front of him, and it's Scott's job to man the trade front and, and to look for deals and, and, and to kind of broker deals and, and find possibilities. Um, and then I'm sure Glenn will be heavily involved. Every time that a team comes to their door, I'm sure Glenn will hear about it. Uh, but it sounds like Scott is kind of charged with court, sort of being the traffic cop there. And uh, the real question is, is, um, you is Scott going to be beating the bushes and really, <laughs> really chasing after yes. really good possible deals? Or is he going to say, look, you know, and, and take with Tom Thibodeau, which he's been in lockstep with Tom Thibodeau throughout this whole thing, and want to play this out with Jimmy as long as possible? That's, that is the question that nobody really knows about right now. Thank you, sir. See you tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. All right, All right. bye. John Krasinski uh, from The Athletic does a fantastic job covering the Wolves. That is a pay site, but if you're not uh, subscribing to it and you're a Wolves fan, you are definitely missing out because he has been been all over this soap opera drama and ongoing saga. Uh, TCL Broadcast Studios, let's take a break. ESPN's Chris Singleton joins us next for some baseball talk. And uh, then at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a very exciting announcement to make on the Mackie and Judge show, so stay tuned. All right, Chris Singleton joins us now. Uh, he'll be working the Dodgers-Brewers game for ESPN tonight that you can hear on the station at 7.30. And, uh, Singy, start you off with this one. We have more um, controversy and accusations of espionage 
I see now that the story today is that the Brewers are saying that the Dodgers are not only sign-stealing, but they might be doing it electronically. This, of course, comes on the heels of what we heard from the uh, from the Red Sox saying that the Astros had a guy with a camera stationed by their dugout at the start of the ALCS for their series. As a longtime baseball observer and a guy who played this game professionally for quite a while, and I'm guessing every once in a while from second base would try and get a sign to pass on to a teammate, your thoughts on where this uh, sign stealing controversy has gone? Yeah, I, I'm not. It's interesting. I was talking with a uh, colleague just a little while ago. Um, he does a lot of baseball coverage, and he said, <laughs> "said ironic, the Astros lost uh, what you know, four straight um, after kind of all this stuff came up, or three straight, whatever it was. Um, after all of the." the spy stuff kind of came out or whatever. And, uh, he seems to feel that Houston, uh, you know, does some things in the gray, um, based on his, you know, longtime coverage and, and around the game today and, and different individuals. But yeah, my only thing with all of that is how it's used because the, the speed of the game is a lot. It's a lot faster when you are between the lines than it is when you're up in the broadcast booth or you're in the dugout um, or you're in the stands. And so, you know, I, I'd just be really curious to see, you know, how quickly is that information getting relayed? Um, and then you're talking about now a player has the ability, he's got to have the ability to process that information. I'm out second base. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, supposedly getting some type of, of indicator of what's coming now. Um, you know, and it's not automatic. Okay. You're going to get this information 10 seconds before the pitch is delivered. I mean, it's, it's going to be inconsistent. And then from there, you've got to relay that to the hitter. Um, and it's not like you just sort of have this, you know, symbiosis with every hitter and it's, there's just this automatic connect connection that, you're going to relay the information. So I, I'm, I'm just a little curious there as to uh, not that they're not getting something, but when and how is it used? Is it used later um, in the game? You know, is it used the next day? Is it used the next time that pitcher throws? You know, that that's where I don't understand. So in your mind, is the paranoia justified now, or is it almost going too far? Because certainly things like this have been around in baseball for a long, long time. Now, how it's being done might be changing, but do you do you look at the paranoia that we see now and guys going to the mound and covering up their mouths to talk and say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, or do you say this almost seems like it's jumping the shark in some ways? Well, I, I would, you know, with Justin Verlander, um, from what I'm told that, you know, he gets, uh, this is what I've been told. He gets kind of paranoid about signs being relayed from second base and whether or not, if it's just the thought is there for a pitcher and it's a pitcher that concerns himself, maybe, uh, more so than he should with it. I could see how, even if you're not necessarily, um, if you don't have the signs, but the thought that's there and if it's going to cause him to think about something more or extra or get off his game a little bit. I think you might be winning. Um, you know, you might be getting an edge or an advantage. So uh, I would try, you know, as a player, not you, players can't get caught up in it. They got to go out and play the game. They got to go out and compete. That's hard enough to do. Um, you know, anything else, it's just a distraction for you, especially in the middle of a series, in the middle of what you're going on. If it's during the regular season um, and you've got some time to sort of get this 
you know, sort of fleshed out and figured out, then yeah. But right now, um, I think it's unhealthy if you if the players concern themselves with it too much because now you're thinking about something extra and and it's just going to take away from your performance. Zingy, what do you think of the um, the Jose Altuve? home run, double, reverse, call them out sort of situation from the other night. And obviously they had replay and they reviewed it and, and ruled him out. I personally thought it should have been a home run, but what what was your take on that whole thing? Um, You know, I these are things that can't be factored in in a split second by an umpire. And for us, it's different the way we judge and evaluate. But I look at Mookie Betts. He's uh, arguably the best outfielder in the game. Um, he's he makes plays like that um, on a fairly regular basis. When I look up and I see when he jumped, how far his like his body. You see, once he jumped and he was up in the air, how much he had a further distance to go before he actually got to the wall. When you look at there's one individual who's actually with his left hand. He's got his left hand on top of the fence, and he's leaning over the, the fence with his upper body, um, and he's leaning to his right, which, so if you're looking straight out, he's leaning to the left. He's the one that's kind of on the, on the right side of the shot. That he's part of this whole mix tells me that there were fans that were over that line. Um, the, the biggest thing, one way or the other, you know, they're, they're, they're plays that we think everything gets, you know, the call gets right because of review. But it doesn't always, uh, because of what happens, the initial call on the field is going to seriously impact that review. So Joe West initially saying fan interference, that's, that's going to preserve it. Um, if he says it's a home run, they're going to go to video and they're going to see, they're not going to have enough evidence to say that it wasn't. Right. So, you know, that was the big thing initially. Um, and there have been plays that, you know, the, yeah, obviously not the stakes haven't been as high. Um, but I'm sure there have been a number of plays over the course of the year that, you know, there just there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it, um, even though it probably, the call was probably wrong on the field. So uh, that's where I come from with it. I, it's a tough one, but I think when you look at, hey, beyond that, um, last night the Astros didn't get it done. Um, the Red Sox did. You also look at some of the, like we were just talking about, you know, some of the, the Spygate stuff that we have, hey, I don't know whether it's, uh, you know, poetic justice or whatever, however you would want to term it. Um, it is what it is. And the Red Sox, even though the Astros were, let's say, the better team, if you will, in, in many respects, uh, when you're talking about what the pitching seemed to be over the course of the year and their players and everything else, and you got to play. you got to play the games. And the Red Sox got hot in the series. Maybe it was fueled by some things, um, whether it be Alex Bregman or, or what. All those little things kind of added up, and uh, here they are going to the World Series with their first-year manager. Here's what drives me nuts, though. Singy, they had the perfect camera angle down the right field line to to get that call right, and you've got a security guard blocking it. Like, if you're going to have that camera, make sure that, that that lens can see that play because that was the one thing where it would have given you a pretty definitive idea of where the ball, the glove, and fans were. So that that's what drove me crazy was the technology was actually in place to give you a fighting chance to get that call absolutely correct, and a guy with well, long hair blocked it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, come on, security, are they there to, to actually, you know, security, or are they there to watch the game? I mean, remember a couple of years ago on the Red Amen, Fox, yes. when Torrey Hunter, Torrey Hunter goes over the fence, and he got this famous picture of the police officers that's cheering. I mean, come on. Um, I, I think this, if you want to solve the problem, create a buffer between the fence and where the seats are. And, okay, well, that's going to take away from the fan experience. I get it, but, you know, we can't have it both ways, right? Yeah, so let me ask you this about narratives because obviously David Price was terrific last night. We saw Clayton Kershaw pitch very well um, the other night. What's your thought on like postseason narratives for for any player um, in baseball? Because in so many other sports, you know, in the NFL, we talk about how that quarterback performed in the playoffs and how he performed in the Super Bowl and. In the NBA, it's, you know, how many championships does a guy have? And can he, you know, how is, how is LeBron play in the playoffs versus the regular season and that sort of thing? What, what's your take on narratives on, in the case of like David Price and Clayton Kershaw, who have gotten a lot of flack for how they've performed in the postseason, uh, what's your take on sort of narratives on how players perform in the postseason versus regular season? Well, first I'll say, you know, congratulations to David Price on that start. And, uh, you know, great for him, great for the Red Sox to, you know, really just sort of turn things around in that way. And, and first and foremost, I think you get to give Alex Cora a ton of credit for instilling confidence uh, in a guy when maybe a lot of people were losing confidence, I guess, outside that clubhouse. Clayton Kershaw as well, pitching, you know, pitching well at home, you know, which at the time, and still could have been his last home start as a Dodger. Uh, we don't know. You know, if, if they make it to the World Series, obviously that'll change. But he has the op- uh, option to uh, step out of that contract after the season's over. But as far as that in the post, um, yeah, I mean, here's you know the reason why. You know, and, and we go after these individuals, you know, sort of as a society because they're making a lot of money, and so they're making a lot of money. Therefore. Um, you know, we have the right to to criticize or magnify um, your struggles in, in a in a way, and that's that comes with the territory, right? I mean, I, I think you know most people would say, okay, if that's what you had to deal with, but to make that kind of money, yeah, you, you go ahead and deal with it. <laughs> um, but for for David Price, one thing that was interesting to me is he said last night in the post game that when he was in the bullpen the night before, he something clicked, and he was pumped to get into his start today and and i have an under i have a feel and understanding of what that means because i've experienced that as a player when you've been working your tail off trying to make an adjustment trying to get things going and out of nowhere you're on the you're in the on deck circle and you're taking a practice swing or two and all of a sudden something clicks and you know there's been a shift and uh and the results you know are consistent with with that that shift or that click um, so, so good for him. I think it's great, but it's one of those things for David Price. It's still going to be the Yankees for him when he next year, you know, when they play the Yankees or down the stretch and things are tight, that's still going to come up until, you know, he's beating the Yankees. Um, he's going to, he could win the world series. He could be the MVP of the, of the world series. And what's still going to hang over his head next year is yeah, but he can't beat the Yankees. And until he does that a few times, it's going to hang. But that's just what we do. That's what we do as a society. And on the other side, Clayton Kershaw, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, even though he's only 30, 31 years old, he's kind of on that backside. We're seeing the velocity go down. And in terms of the power that he's had before, 
it's it's going to be hard to predict what the next you know this this rest of this postseason and the next couple of years look like for him in terms of dominance. How small of thing can click that, that gives an athlete more confidence? Yeah, it's it's strange. It really is. It, it's strange how, and I think it's it, it. You know, we talk about this game being eighty five percent mental for a baseball player, and when you consider. You know, the amount of games that you're playing, the amount of swings, the ground balls, the pitches, the bullpens, all those things. Um, I think mentally, at times, there can be some fatigue and you not really know it because most times you look at your physical body of, all right, you know, I feel good or ah, I'm a little tired. But I think more than anything, it's sort of that, you know, the that center, you know, of, of all your intelligence that can get worn down. And so that little click, whether it's, you know, a guy coming up, you know, whether it's Price, you know, going into the windup and, and coming to sort of his balance point and realizing, whoa, I can hold here for just a split second longer before I go towards the plate and it keeps everything. That, like it just more so than thinking about it and ha- watching, you know, video with a coach or someone and looking and seeing all of a sudden it clicks in and you feel it. That's where you know that you've got something. Like you're like, man, I got something. I figured something out. If you've been around clubhouses or batting cages or whatever, you know there'll be times where you hear a guy's like, I, I figured, I got something. I figured it out. Something, something clicked for me in there. They can't necessarily describe it and probably don't want to exactly. Mm-hmm. They just want to feel <laughs> it and experience the success of it. How unpopular is um, Manny Machado right now, sir? And do you do you deem him to be a dirty player or an aggressive player? Because it, this whole thing, obviously, between him and the Brewers, uh, got some spark when he uh, essentially stepped on, on the first baseman. It looked like on purpose a couple games ago. Yeah, he's a for me. I don't. I, I don't look at him as a dirty player, like. If I'm on the field and I'm in uniform, I probably do. Everything is, you know, everybody's more testy, and the intensity is is a lot higher down there, and it's definitely going to be, you know, higher even for fans that have an affinity for a certain team or or they have a displeasure for a certain team. That's going to play into your judgment on things. And for me, I just see a player that sometimes just doesn't have awareness. As great as he is, and as incredible as he is, you know, defensively and some of the plays that he makes, I mean, just, you know, there, he makes some tough plays look really easy. And you see at times how effortless it is for him. You scratch your head when he does things, um, whether it's slide into Dustin Pedroia at second base and, uh, you know, that whole thing a year or two ago, or whether it was throwing the bat, you know, against the A's and, releasing the bat, um, you know, towards, I think, Donaldson or whatever it was. Right. Uh, wherever he threw that thing, that was, you know, that was one of those where that was premeditated to me. That's where I would, my judgment is that, yeah, that was premeditated. The slide, I don't know. It's almost like, you know, there are people that have written that, hey, he's there's a side of him that's like A-Rod, where, you know, there were times where A-Rod, it was like, what is he doing? Like, what? Why, why would you try to grab the guy's, glove off of his hand you know when you're like running you know or why would you be running around the bases and you yell i got it you know on a routine fly ball to an infielder <laughs> yeah you're right you know what i mean yes like, just, those are things that are like bush that you're saying wait you're a you're a 
cream of the crop, like top level player, like where does that come from? So I almost just feel like there are times, and maybe some people say, oh, I'm not singing, you're just too kind, you're too nice. I just feel like there are times where guys are just, they are not aware. They're not self like yeah. aware of what they're doing and what's going on. And maybe to the point of Manny saying, hey, it's not my cup of tea, like I'm not a Johnny Hustle guy or what have you, maybe part of that is that like because he doesn't run up the first baseline consistently hard like that, that maybe his his footwork at the you know at the final couple of steps is just awkward. Like it's just it's something it would seem that's the easiest thing in baseball. Brewers to do, fans right? don't agree one bit with, right now with that assessment, though, Chris. You know that. No, no, they don't. Obviously, not. You're not going to, and I wouldn't expect them to. Yep. But the thing that's really the things that are really hard, he makes it look so easy. And then the things that are easy, you're saying like, why? How? How easy is it to step through the bag the right way and mm-hmm. not? Right. But I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But I'm not. I'm not fully. You know, I'm not fully in the camp of hey, man, he's a dirty player. Um, I've been around him. I, I don't think he's necessarily that guy. But there might be a part of it that's there. And I would probably have to say maybe to some extent. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time as always, Chris. Take care. All right, Thanks, guys. Andy. All right. Thanks. Don't forget, Chris will be part of uh, ESPN Radio's coverage tonight, which you can hear on the station, the game, uh, NLCS game between the Dodgers and the Brewers. Let's take a break, come back with more. Mackie and Judd after this. Phil joins the show at 4 o'clock. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic. We have a couple crashes to tell you about, uh, both on 94. First off, in Minneapolis, 94 eastbound, we have that crash between 35W and Highway 55 uh, near 5th Street in Minneapolis. Prepare for an extra seven minutes on your commute there. And uh, also 94 westbound near Maple Grove, uh, we have a crash between Hemlock Lane and 494. Prepare for an extra seven minutes there. All right, TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd wrapping things up for hour one. Phil will uh, step into studio here at four o'clock, and we have a very, very, what, what would you call it, sir? A uh, um, An exciting opportunity for listener participation. Sure. Coming yep. up at four o'clock. That's one way of putting it, yeah. Uh, but, of course, to open the show, one of the things we talked about was the fact that um, the Boston sports teams, men's sports teams, I should say, continue to have great success. And uh, since since the year 2000, championships have become a regular thing. While we here in Minnesota pine for a championship from either the Vikings, Twins, Wild, or Wolves and don't get one, Nate Wells, our friend on Twitter here, actually sent me this, and he's right, and I never thought of it in this context. But <laughs> Nate informs me, that since the Twins World Series Championship in October of 1991, Minnesota's big four men's professional teams have gone 100 seasons exactly with no championships contested. All right. The the kicker to this that you have to keep in mind is we need to include, to get to 100, the 94 Twins. Now, there was no World Series in 94, but that was a bad team. So if we give them if we give them the fact that if you had played that season out, that Twins team would have got nowhere near right, cause they Manny finished, Hill. what, 53 they and were, 60, I think, they 113 were games before they called everything off? Yeah. Yes. So we get to 100 seasons this way. The Wild, 17 seasons. Mm-hmm. No championship appearance. So, so forget championships. No championship appearance. The North Stars had two years 
of no Stanley Cup appearances before they moved to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Because they went to the 91 finals and then had two more years. And in that last year of 93, didn't even make the playoffs. The Vikings, Wolves, and Twins are all at 27 seasons. So do the math. 27 seasons times three. And then take the North Stars two years. It'll be 81. Mm-hmm, and then take the North Stars two years. It'll be up to 83. And then throw in 17 for the Wild. That's 100. We are at one. Congratulate <laughs> Nate Wells, thank you. But we are at 100. Congratulations to us. TCL Broadcast Studios, take a break. Come back with Mackie. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers. On 1500 ESPN.